0: I want to go ahead right off the bat and apologize if I sniffle too much or if I sneeze or anything like that. I am dealing with sinus stuff right now, and so my wife very kindly made me some throat coat tea because my throat is a little bit raw. And so that's tea. Don't worry. And um, if you want some, I mean I got plenty. You can have some. Um, But anyway, I, I just wanted to tell you if I if I start sneezing or anything like that, I'm sorry. I hope that you can forgive me. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. If you don't know where it is, it comes right after Isaiah. Um, and Jeremiah is, um, has always been very interesting to me. Because Jeremiah is very honest with God about how he feels about what God is doing or not doing, uh, how he feels about what God should be doing instead. Um, He is very um, willing to say that God is acting out of character. God is not acting out of character. God is not wrong. But Jeremiah, uh, more so than any other prophet that we see in Scripture, is willing to kind of tangle with God almost. Um, it's a part of just Jeremiah's personality, a part of who God made him to be. But God gives some very, very strong words to Jeremiah for Israel. Of course, there's the famous verse that we've all probably heard before. We've probably seen it on coffee cups. Maybe it's your life verse, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to, to give you a future and a hope. If that's on your coffee cup, throw it in the garbage because that promise ain't for you. That promise was for Israel because right after everybody who read that got there. They read that. Then immediately after that, God says, by the way, every one of you who just heard that, you're going to die in exile. So if that's your life verse, you're kind of missing the point. The point of Jeremiah 29, 11 is God saying, hey, listen, Israel is going to continue. I don't need you. My purposes shall stand. Church, the same is true for us. God does not need Corey Taylor associate pastor of Daybreak Baptist Church, to accomplish his purposes. He doesn't. I am grateful that he chooses me to use me, but he doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. His church will stand, provided that Jesus doesn't come back long after all of us are dead, because God keeps his promises. And so that's the kind of backdrop that we see in the book of Jeremiah. It's God telling Israel, you guys have messed up and judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And so right here, the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter one is the the, the calling of Jeremiah, where God tells Jeremiah, I'm going to call, you know, you're going to do this thing. You're going to be a prophet. And then Jeremiah two is where God begins to talk to Israel through Jeremiah specifically. Okay. And so that's, the background of what we're looking at. And so here's what it says. Jeremiah chapter two, beginning in verse one. You don't have to stand. Uh, You can stay seated. And this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up? from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kadar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be, a, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. That, Father, we would examine our hearts up against the standard that you have set for our holiness, for our godliness. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to follow after you that you would use this time and your Holy Spirit to impress upon our hearts how important it is that we not exchange the truth for a lie. Bless our time together, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we see in our passage today is that Israel used to loyally and faithfully follow God. Israel loyally and faithfully followed God. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love is as a bride. He describes it as the love of a bride. Ladies, those of you who are married, remember back when you first got married, how devoted you were, how excited you were about your husband? How thrilling it was to have that in your life? You wanted to spend time with him? Hopefully, if not, then we'll have some counseling later. You wanted to spend time with him. You wanted to be around him, right? That's the way it should be. It's the way God's word calls us to be. And he describes Israel's devotion to him in that way. Your devotion to me, your love as a bride. It's shown in how they kept following God through the wilderness to a land that he had promised them. Think about that. Think about it. Israel was promised by God I'm going to take you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey and they go there and they get scared so God says that's fine you guys can go wander around in the wilderness until all of you are dead and then I'll bring you into the land so you have children who are born out in the wilderness and what they're hearing is God is faithful God has promised us this land God has promised us these things That's the environment they grow up in where what their circumstances are don't seem to match the reality of what God has promised. And yet, generally, they were pretty faithful. Generally, they clung to God because they had no choice, right? There were bumps in the road. Sometimes they wanted to go back to Egypt they didn't always follow through on what God called them to, but they kept following where God led them because the, other, the alternative is you die in the wilderness. You have no food. You have no water. Literally, God makes food come down out of the sky to feed you. Talk about being completely and totally dependent on God, right? And what we find throughout Scripture is that when God's people are totally dependent on God, they don't tend to stray too far. You ever notice that? When God's people have nowhere else to go, they tend to cling pretty close. And that was what happened with Israel out there in the wilderness. And it also says that Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. That means that Israel was set apart for the purposes of God. The youth and I talked on Wednesday night from 1 John. We talked about holiness and how holiness is essentially this concept of God is so unique and so powerful that his incredible purity is, will obliterate anything that is impure. Kind of like the sun. You get too close to the sun. You don't just die. You don't just get burned. You get annihilated. There is nothing left of you. It's the same way. If we try to get in close to the holiness of God, we can't. But it says here that Israel was holy to the Lord. How? Because God made them holy. They were not holy on their own. They were sinners, just like we are. But they were holy to the Lord. And he says that they were the first fruits of his harvest. And all who ate of the first fruits incurred guilt and disaster came upon them. What that means is that God protected Israel to showcase his devotion to them showcase the fact that they were set apart for his purposes he protected them anyone who attacked, is, attacked Israel incurred guilt and disaster came upon them you want an example of that think about Egypt at the Red Sea God told, told Israel get up go and Egypt said hey no, no 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 you guys stay here and God said no I told you to go so Israel tried to chase them across the Red Sea and what happened splash Gurgle, gurgle, army gone. God defends his people. Israel used to loyally follow God, but somewhere along the way, Israel stopped following God. Verse 5. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? So literally God says, look, you guys, all of a sudden, you decided we're going to go somewhere else. When did that happen? It happened after they went in to the land. They abandoned God and sought after other things, things that they thought were better somehow. If you've been, if you've been uh, coming to our Sunday night series in Malachi, we talked about this a few weeks ago. That they were bringing polluted sacrifices to God. They were keeping the best for themselves. All along, Israel kept thinking, well, if we're really favored of God, why do I have to give the best to God? Why do I have to give all of my devotion to God? Why do I have to give all of my love to God? God loves me. I'm a child of the promise. I'm going to chase after this other stuff as well. And Jeremiah says, God says through Jeremiah, they went after worthlessness and became worthless. What you pursue has bearing on what you are. What you choose to commit your life to is a testimony to what you are and whose you are. And so God says that Israel was pursuing after worthless things, and in doing so, they had become worthless. It also says that they neglected the memories of God caring for them out in the wilderness. In verse six, they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. He's saying, listen, I was with you all along out in the wilderness, the place where you could not have survived on your own. And now, you think you don't need me. Parents, you can probably identify with this. I, I work with teenagers, and there's a point in time where they decide they don't need you anymore. And you look at them and think, I changed your diapers. I kept you from sticking your finger in the electric socket and killing yourself. I kept you from trying to climb into the oven. I did all these things to protect you from your own self and you don't need me you like jimmy's mom better oh well where was jimmy's mom when you were throwing up at two in the morning that's kind of essentially what god is saying to israel here it's like listen you weren't trying to find me when you were in the wilderness i was right there with you and here you are in the land that i promised you and you think i found something better i'm seeking after things that are better they neglected the memories of God caring for them in the wilderness. And then they neglected the fact that God had brought them into this plentiful land that they were so enjoying, they were like, oh, well, this is our land. This is mine. This is my thing. And so by doing so, they defiled God's heritage. And this is something that is really important for me. This is something that's important for all of us. As If you're a leader, if you're a deacon in this church, if you're a Sunday school teacher, it says here... The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The priest didn't seek God, and it trickled down into all the people. Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. So you have one end of the spectrum. You have the priests who don't know God, who are not teaching faithfully God's word, and then you have the people who are sinning against God, and as leaders, we bear a heavier burden for that. It's my responsibility to teach you rightly from God's word. And if I neglect to do so, I am held accountable for your lack of knowledge. You're also held accountable. Don't, don't, don't feel like, oh, well, I don't have to do anything and it's all on Corey. No, it's on you too. But there's a heavier burden on those of us who teach, those of us who lead. And that leads to prophets going so far as to prophesying by Baal, a false god. The prophets are running around, instead of saying, thus saith the Lord, they're saying, thus saith Baal. Spoiler alert, Baal ain't real, he can't talk. So what do you think those prophets are running around saying? Baal says, give me lots of money, and it'll be good for you. Okay. That's what's going on. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. See, Israel was chasing after things that they thought were profitable for them. They thought were significant and special and meaningful to them. And God is saying, these things are worthless. They do not profit. Jesus says in the Gospels, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's a microcosm of what is happening here. You're chasing after things that do not profit. And so Israel decided they were going to make an exchange. So verse 9. Therefore I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. That is a legal term. That is a legal term that God is saying to Israel, listen, you have transgressed the law. I have a point of contention with you. And so it gives the idea of God building a case against the people of Israel. And the sin that God is contending with Israel over is one that not even the pagan nations with their false gods succumb to. Verse 10, for cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Qadar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation, has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? God literally says to Israel, listen, all of these pagan nations around you, with all their false gods, and you know they're false gods, they don't leave their false gods. They are devoted to their false gods. And yet you, Israel, go flirting with false gods. Go pursuing after things that do not profit. Go and defile your heritage, defile my heritage, God says, by pursuing these things. Wow. That is a strong, strong indictment on Israel to say that. Even pagan nations with false gods don't change their gods. And here you are, the one true God who walked with you through the wilderness, who gave you this land, and you're saying, ah, I think there's something better out there for me. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And God even calls on all of heaven as a witness against the sin of Israel. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. This is such a horrific thing that Israel has done. That God literally tells the heavens to just be desolate. Shut it all down. Close it up be barren, be a wasteland because of what is happening. And so God goes on and he condemns Israel for what he calls two evils. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out, for, hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the first evil is the base and the second evil is the outgrowth of that. So the base evil is this. Israel has forsaken God. God refers to himself as the fountain of living waters. The secondary evil is that they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that he says can hold no water. So this paints a picture of everyday life that the hearers would have understood. This is a little bit foreign to us because we get water by going in the kitchen and turning on the faucet or going to Costco and buying a case of water. If you live in Bakersfield, you we don't get water the same way that Israel did. So back then there were three primary sources of water. There was running water, which came from a stream or a spring. That's the best source of water. That's called living water. The water is alive because it is flowing. There's not all the stuff that's in it just kind of gets swept away by the current. That water tends to be more clear. So think about it. You go walking out in the woods or on a hike and you come across just this clear stream, right? Right? just beautiful. And you look at it and you're like, man, I could just dip my water bottle in there and just drink it. Then you get dip theory and you die. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but that, that was the primary way. That was the best way that they could get water. The second is groundwater, like from wells. You dig very deep into the ground. You find a spring of water down there and you draw it up. It doesn't flow to the surface. So it's still kind of, you know, it's kind of stagnant, kind of stale, but it's there. And it's clean. Finally, there's runoff, which is collected in cistern. A cistern is a ground kind of tank thing that collects water. And so it's on the ground. You know what else is on the ground? Bugs and animals. You know what animals do on the ground? They are business. And there's dirt. And so the water, it rains, and then it flows down into these cisterns, and it carries all this junk on the ground with it. And all of that gets collected into this cistern. That doesn't sound really appealing to me. What about y'all? We're not, not, not really a big fan of the cistern idea of drinking water. That's got all this stuff in it. And so God says, literally, Israel had the best source of water in the entire universe. And they traded it out for the worst source of water. And not just the worst, it's a dysfunctional, non working form of the worst way to collect water. All of the water has leaked out. So you know what it leaves? It leaves sludge. That's what it leaves. If you've ever gone swimming in like a, a pond or anything that was shallow enough for you to reach the bottom and your feet touch it, what does that feel like? It feels slimy and gross, right? That's what's at the bottom of a cistern. And so when you try to drink water out of a broken cistern, you're basically just getting slop brown sludge, muck, disgustingness. And God says, Congratulations, Israel. Here's your water. Think about that. Literally, you had access to living waters that never end, and you thought, nah, I like this big hole in the ground with cracks in it better. I'm going to drink that water. That's what was going on. Israel had forsaken God and exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So I've told you before, you've heard me preach before. If you've come on Sunday night, you've heard me preaching from the Old Testament. I tell you how the most important thing for a preacher to do is to take the passage and apply it to you. And the most important part of application is for me to take the passage and show you how it relates to Christ and what that means for us. So with that in mind, there's two primary things that stick out in this passage. The first one is this. When we are forced to totally and completely depend on God, we sometimes may grumble, but often we follow him. And that's true of Israel and that's true of us. Think about it. Think about the history of the church, not just in America, believe it or not, the church started before America did. Think about the history of the church when did the church have the most expansion and discipleship during periods of persecution when the church was being persecuted by the world the gospel exploded why because when people came to faith in christ when people submitted themselves to the truth of the gospel during persecution it had to be real you don't get too many fake converts When there's a guy waiting outside looking to cut your head off, when you walk out and he says, do you believe in Jesus? And you say, yep. And he goes, you don't have too many people willing to go, I sure do, if they're not really committed to Christ. However, when God blesses us, our response often is not to praise God, it's not to increase our devotion to him, but rather we get restless and we begin seeking other things to fulfill our desires. Family, work, money, entertainment, vacations, all of those things that are not bad in principle, but if you want those more than you are devoted to God, that's idolatry. And that's what Israel was doing. Because ultimately, when you hold them up to God, these things are worthless. They're worthless. Nothing compares to God. If I say to you, hey, listen, what's better, God or a million dollars in your bank account? God's better. God's better. And listen, you all amen me right now, and I'm glad but if you were faced with that choice tomorrow i hope i hope that your answer would still be god if none of us were around if the associate pastor would never know i hope that your answer is still the same because this flips the typical line of thought in the scenario right because our flesh tells us i deserve to be happy i deserve to have what i want I deserve to live wherever I choose. I deserve to have the spouse that I want. I deserve for my kids to do this and that and the other. I deserve to not have to give my money to the church. I deserve to do whatever makes me happy. We're seeing this left and right in the American church, right? The consistent battle over LGBTQ comes down to this. I want to be happy. Why wouldn't God want me to be happy? That's what it comes down to over and over and over again. God cares far less about your happiness than he does about your holiness. God wants you to be happy, but he wants you to be happy in him. But holiness is more important. Holiness is more important. Because ultimately, when we say I deserve to be happy, we are saying I am worthy of making better decisions about my life than God is. I deserve that. I'm worthy of that. But we don't get things because we're worthy. We're made worthy by what we pursue. When we pursue God, that is something that is worthwhile. The only thing that has intrinsic worth is God. Everything else has the worth that is given to it. Gold is only valuable because some people think that shiny rocks are significant. Diamonds are only valuable because some people think that shiny rocks are significant. And because they put a lot of commercials on TV that say, man, buy that woman a big old rock. They're not really valuable. It's just shiny rocks. That's really all it is. The only thing that has intrinsic worth that comes from within itself is God. Everything else has a worth that is assigned to it. And if you don't believe me, go buy some gold and then watch how the the value of gold fluctuates up and down in the market. Gold has no worth on its own. It only has the worth that is assigned to it. So the question for us is this. Are we seeking God or are we seeking his blessing? Why do you follow God? Why do you follow God? Because here's the truth. You may never be financially blessed. You may never have peace in your family. You may never have good health. You may never have those things. If you are single, you may never be married. If you are married, you may never have a good marriage. You may struggle every day for the rest of your life and then die. But when you die, you go to be with Jesus. Is that enough? Is that enough? Because ultimately, that's all we get. That's all we're guaranteed. Don't follow God because we want blessings, because blessings apart from God are worthless. They mean nothing. The second thing that jumps out to me from this passage is that the way to God is through Jesus and everything else is a broken cistern. Now you might be confused how I jumped straight to that. But I want to look at two New Testament passages that are going to illustrate how I got there. The first one is Romans, verse 18. Romans 18, you can flip there if you want. I'm also going to read it. We're going to look at 18 through 25. This is what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. This passage shows us that this exchange, the trading of God for worthlessness, is not unique to the nation of Israel. It is common to all mankind, it's just manifested itself differently. Where Israel had the works of God in their midst and to see and rely on for their truth, the Gentiles had the evidences of God in creation that showed them that Yahweh is the one true God. And yet, the Gentiles, the Bible tells us, suppress that truth and exchange that truth for a lie. The scriptures tell us that everyone deep down knows that God exists. They are just blinded to the truth because of their sin. All of us have forsaken the fountain of living waters. We have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the creature slash the blessing slash the gain rather than the creator, rather than the giver. The second passage is John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. You probably are familiar with this passage. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. The woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water." We're going to stop there. Look at it, look what look exactly at what happens here. Jesus calls himself living water, and what does the Samaritan woman say? Hey, I don't know, when I have to come back here and keep getting water. Give me some of this water, that I'll never be thirsty again. She immediately goes straight for the blessing rather than the one who gives it. Do you notice that? Her immediate response is, hey, just give me the water. Jesus said, I'm the one who gives the water, just give me the water, I don't care about you, give me the water. That's what Israel was doing. But the only way for us to have access to that living water due to our sin of forsaking God is through Christ. That's what he tells the Samaritan woman in verse 14 whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There is no other way of getting access to this fountain. There's not. That was true of the Israelites. Their relationship with God was based on the future grace of Christ, of which their encounters with God and their sacrificial system were a picture. And it's true of us. All access to God, thanks to our sin, goes through Christ Everything else we turn to for security, for comfort, for fulfillment, is simply a broken cistern that holds no water. Our work, our influence, and our money are all worthlessness apart from Christ. But it's not just those kinds of things. It's even seemingly good things. Apart from Christ, they don't hold water. Things like family, education, or even church. Brothers and sisters, if you think being here this morning secures your eternal destiny, you are sorely mistaken. I am not the source of living water. Daybreak Baptist Church is not the source of living water. Jesus Christ is the source of living water. And the only way to eternal life is through him. God is not keeping attendance at Daybreak Baptist Church up in heaven. That's not what's going on. And if you think your attendance here secures your, your, your entrance there, no. If Christ is not the central aim of our lives, we are trying to collect nasty groundwater in broken cisterns. That's what we're doing. There's no way around it. There's no way to soften that. That's what we're doing. And here's the truth. I can't tell you if that's what you're doing or not, I can't. I don't know your heart, I don't know it. I can make educated guesses based on spending time with you, based on conversations with you. I can talk to you about scripture, but I can't know for sure if you truly are seeking after Christ or if you're just seeking after comfort and security, I don't know. But what I can do and what I'm compelled by God to do is to plead with you to not exchange the truth about God for a lie. The truth about God is that his son came and lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death and rose again that you might have forgiveness and new life. That is the truth of God. The lie is, well, you're a person born in America, so you're probably a Christian, The lie is you go to Daybreak Baptist Church, so you're going to go to heaven. The lie is, hey, listen, as long as you try to do the right thing and don't hurt anybody, you're basically a good person. Everything's going to work out well for you in the end. The lie is God just wants you to be happy. The lie is follow your heart. No. Follow after Christ. There's no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. You ever notice that? Jesus says in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Don't exchange the truth about God for a lie. I beg you. You might have been in church for the last 50 years. Don't place your hope in a prayer you said when you were seven. Don't place your hope in getting dunked in a tank. Don't place your hope in how many copies of the Bible you own or how many scripture passages you can quote. Don't place your hope on perfect attendance or your high morality or your witness. Base your hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Paul repeatedly says this. He's like, look, you guys want to call into question my credentials. I'm all of these things. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've suffered. I've bled. I've been attacked. I've been maligned. And guess what? None of it matters. Pastor Mitch has been preaching out of Philippians. Paul says I count all things as garbage for the sake of knowing Christ. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Don't Trust in yourself, don't trust in anything else that the world has to offer. Trust in Christ. Brothers and sisters, my my plea to you this morning, drink from the living water. Don't hew out broken cisterns for yourselves. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, Maybe you think you did. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you got dunked in the tank. Maybe you went to vacation Bible school. Maybe you went to RAs and GAs. Maybe you've been to church every Sunday for the last 100 years. If you don't know Jesus, none of it matters. And so this morning, I implore you as someone who loves you, don't, don't, don't fall into the trap Of thinking that you're okay because God's holiness does not coexist with sin. It does not. You cannot enter into his presence unless you have been given new righteousness from Christ himself. And this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. And if you have not had that, I want to talk to you about it. I want to share with you what that means and how you can have the righteousness of Jesus Christ for yourself. I'll be here. One of our deacons will be up here. Come and talk with us because our, great, our greatest desire is to see men and women and children come to faith in Jesus Christ because there is no greater worth. There is no greater value. There is no greater treasure than Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Father, you are beyond good to us. And in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness, you still love us, you still call us to come. I pray, Father, for those who are here that do not know Jesus Christ, that you, this morning, by your Spirit, would break their hearts and convict them of sin, that Christ would be made real to them, that he would save those here who don't know him. pray this in Christ's name. Amen.